Are you ready? Yes. Excellent. Thank you for joining us on The Change Artist, where we bring our listeners stories and great advice for leading and following through change from business leaders who are making a difference in their organizations. I'm your host, Alyssa Cox, and here on The Change Artist, our motto is, if change is the only constant in life, then let's do it better. As we talk about the language of change, we need to spend a minute focusing on not only how we talk about the change we're trying to implement, but also how we talk about the degree to which our change has been successful. My guest today is Sir Therese Grice, the co-founder and chief consulting officer of Mattingly Solutions, a woman-owned diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting firm. She's also the co-author of Inclusalytics, how diversity, equity, and inclusion leaders use data to drive their work. And she's here with us today to share her perspectives and experience around how we think about measuring change and defining success for our change initiatives. So, Sir Therese, what is the biggest challenge you see organizations face when they're trying to measure change? Yeah, I would say, funnily enough, it's just not collecting data in the first place. I think organizations tend to have a fear of data. Uh, and so when it comes to talking about data and change, they they just don't have it. Um, or they, they start thinking about it, but they don't know what to collect. So it's either not having the data or just this fear of how do I how do I do this? How do I get data in? What does that data look like? Wait a minute. Let's dig into that a little bit. Why are we afraid of data? Yeah. So especially, you know, I'm in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space or DEI. Uh, a lot of times the fear of data is the fear of being imperfect, right? We don't want low scores. Uh, organizations are made up of humans. And as humans, we want to be looked at as good and we're the best and nothing's wrong. Everything's great, right? And so when you collect data, it opens that window for there to be issues. And now you have to address these issues or talk about where you aren't the best. Uh, and so I think that's a big piece of fear. And even again, more specifically with DEI, uh, there's always that fear, of course, of the legal side, right? If we, if we pull up the numbers, now we're, you know, we're on the hook for whatever is being shown um, and can either get in trouble or we're just going to be held accountable to actually improve those numbers. How real is that sort of legal threat if our organizations start collecting some baseline data and find that their baseline data isn't where they want it to be? Yeah, that's that's a really great question. And I do love talking about this piece because it is so often brought up as the sphere and I, I hang in a lot of circles with a lot of people who do this work and look at numbers or do DEI. And there isn't a trend that we can find, um, you know, anecdotally that as soon as you look at data, all of a sudden, all of these lawsuits start popping up. So anecdotally, the fear isn't real. I'm not a lawyer, so this is not official legal advice, but of the things I've studied around disparate impact cases and so on, as long as an organization is putting out that they um, are working toward improving their their data, then the law, for better or worse, is actually on their side, right? And again, this is very very high level. It's either that they may not they may not have a case, or that case may just have a lower impact than you think. As long as they can show that they're they're putting in the efforts, and that's the key, right? You can't just collect data and then throw it out there and say. Yep, we're doing really poorly in these areas and just say, okay, glad we shared. You have to follow through with action. You have to say, this is where we're doing poorly. And then here are all of the things we put in place to try and improve those numbers. 
and continuously then report out. So it's kind of funny because the same data that we're asking people to collect and look at and analyze is the same data they would need if there was something legal to come up, you know? So it's really a matter of it's better to be proactive than reactive in these cases and actually can prevent those lawsuits from even occurring. And what do you do if, okay, so you've collected the data, you've acknowledged that the data is not like the results are not where you want them to be. You've laid out a roadmap with actions on how you're going to move the needle. And now you're measuring your progress. Mm -hmm. And you're not moving the needle, right? Like you're, you're trying things and they're not working. Are there implications then for organizations who are trying and perhaps not achieving their desired results? Yeah, that's why it's important to be flexible and be ready to pivot. So if you're trying something and it's not having the impact that you want, then you might need to change. But I will also say, how quickly are you remeasuring? Because sometimes we get really excited and we do something and we're like, okay, it's been a week. Are we having the impact we want? And you may just need more time. You may may need more time for the effects to really kick in. And so giving yourself a little bit more time to look into that and going another step back, how did you decide what actions to take? You have the data, right? You were looking at your numbers and then you decided this is the plan we're going to move forward with. Are you simply copying what your competitors are doing? Did you read a really great blog and so you thought something sounded cool? Or did you talk to your employees? This is another place where I feel like organizations sometimes miss the boat is they pull on all these other resources, but they forget to talk to the people that they're trying to impact. And if you ask them what's going to have the most impact, that's going to have a lot more power than whatever best practices you think you're seeing uh, in other places. How custom should then our metrics be? Are there standard metrics that we should be using to measure change here? Or should we be looking at coming up on on an organization by organization basis, the right metrics for your organization, even though it feels like, particularly in the DE&I space, we're all trying to move the needle in the same way. Yeah, so there are definitely things that you can look at across the board. So for instance, when it comes to diversity, diversity is representation. So it really is a numbers game. So the data here is the easiest. You're going to pull up your different identities that you want to look into, and then you're just going to look and see what what do you have going on. And so there, that's also an example of how simple metrics can be, because it just counts, right? You're just counting, and then you might have some percentages attached to that. So something really basic any organization can do that. But then once you start applying that in other ways, so let's say we want to take our diversity and start comparing that to figure out how we're doing in equity, you're going to look at what are your promotion rates, what are um, your selection rates, what are your recruitment, and so on. And so there's a lot of different things you can look at there. Now, this is going to start looking a little different. If you're a really large enterprise organization, you have a lot of things that you could apply that to when figuring out equity data. Versus, you know, if you're a 10-person startup, you have a little bit less you're working with. So it's going to be a lot simpler. You're not working with high, a high pole pool, right, that you want to look in at your high potentials. So that's that's one way that it can look a little different is just how, how complex based on size can be also the type of data. So when working with larger organizations, we always recommend, you know, doing a survey, getting that employee voice, the employee perspective, and then breaking that down by identity. But again, if you're in a smaller organization, you don't really have that flexibility to do that anonymous survey and then look at it in smaller groups. So 
that's one place where we really lean into qualitative data. So maybe it's, are you doing quantitative or is it better to have focus groups and interviews to gather the data that you're collecting? So all this to say, the at the heart of what you're looking for is the same. You wanna know how you're doing, right? You wanna know your representation numbers, you wanna know are people experiencing inclusive behaviors, are your policies equitable, but how you're collecting that data it's probably going to look a little different depending on the size of your organization. If we are just sort of running the numbers on reported identities, mm-hmm. but that's not really reflective of the behaviors and the environment of inclusivity in the organization. How do we think about driving inclusivity or driving qualitative change and then measuring that effectively when sometimes the, the objective measures around identity don't really speak to the culture. Yeah, that's why it's so important, especially again, the larger you get in your organization or in organization size, that's why it's so important to have different types of data collection. So those larger organizations should also be collecting that qualitative data. Um, and so one, getting getting your diversity numbers isn't enough on, on its own, like figuring out how, how diverse your organization is. You need to then apply it, like I said, to looking at how equitable your practices are across the employee life cycle and different policies and procedures you have. But then also I mentioned inclusion briefly. Inclusion is a behavior, it's what we do. And so when looking at that, you're gonna you're gonna be asking questions in the style of other report data. So I wouldn't say, you know, Alyssa, do you think you are an inclusive leader? I instead would say, Alyssa, does your manager use inclusive language and so on? And so asking that person, are they, as the recipient of the behavior, are they experiencing those inclusive behaviors? And then breaking that down by identity, because that gives you a more nuanced view on that inclusion piece, because oftentimes getting diversity in the door isn't where I see organizations have the issue. It's keeping people because of the culture they're experiencing. And that's, again, that in itself, keeping people, right? What is your turnover, voluntary and involuntary? What are those rates there? Looking at that by identity, that's going to tell a story. And then the last piece there that I'll add in is just in relation to that qualitative data piece, sometimes your quantitative numbers may look okay. But once you start having focus groups and really talking to people, you realize that they were just afraid in the survey to really say what they mean. Or sometimes there's a culture to just say, yep, everything's great in the survey. But when you have the chance for them to share their opinions and make sure that it is done by an external party, do not do qualitative focus groups interviews with internal facilitators because you're not going to get as transparent as the response. Um, But yeah, when you have that focus group, it's led by someone externally, all of a sudden, they feel a lot safer to be able to share their true thoughts and opinions on a matter. So that's the best way to get that more robust picture and see if there's consistency or if there's a disconnect and then looking into why that disconnect may even be happening. And when we look at some of the qualitative data and we ask people, are they experiencing change? Mm-hmm. Do you find that people's recognition and experience of change tracks with the metrics or do you find that one of the other is a leading or a lagging indicator of what's actually going on? When it comes to looking at change, actually what I see happens the most that leads to questions and confusions when you do like a T1, T2 comparison, your time one, time two, is the pain points might look different, right? Sometimes it's consistent and you see like, oh, we're doing better, but not as good as we want. 
or you might see a new pain kind of start to appear. And that tends to happen for one of two reasons. One, maybe you were focused so much in one area that now that's doing great. This other place is popping up as a place where you could use some help. Or it might be related to response rates. So sometimes when you're doing your data collection the first time, depending on how you're getting it, people might not feel comfortable participating or really sharing. But once they realize that there really is anonymity, changes really happening related to the data, now more people are responding. And so that might give you a more robust picture of what's really going on and direct your eyes to another pain point that's appearing. So that's that's one of the differences I think between when I, when I look at T1, T2, that can be surprising is when it, it changes and you have this new concern pop up. And so when we get those new concerns, how do we maintain as an organization that's trying to drive change, how do we maintain our focus without appearing to be sort of deaf to the feedback that we're getting, right? If we change our metrics every quarter, then we're never going to be able to track historicals. But if we chart a course, stay on the course, sort of live that course with all of our rigidity, we run the risk of seeming not to hear the people who are now raising their voices. And so how do we balance that? Yeah. So one, so you mentioned quarter, right? Part of it depends on how often are you looking at these metrics? What are the types of metrics? If we're talking a survey, then doing a yearly survey, but maybe you have some pulse check-ins in between throughout the year, whether that's quarterly or some other frequency, that's one way that could look or your other numbers. But to, to your question of how do we, you know, keep driving forward our mission, it's important to tie it back to your overall strategy and statement, right? So when you go in and you're saying, we're going to collect this data, step one is why what is your purpose why are you collecting this data what is the mission you're trying to move forward and so then no matter what pain points you find or strengths that you find it's still tied back to your original purpose your original mission and so that way when new pain points pop up you can still talk about them and your metrics don't necessarily have to change because it's tied to your original mission, right? It's just showing that, hey, we said we want to collect data for X, Y, and Z. We found that ABC is where we're doing really well. And E and F, we could use some room to work. And then now maybe it flips and E and F, we're doing really well now, but AB, we still, it could use a little help. And so even though those things are changing, that original core purpose is the same. So then your metrics don't need to. So that's all to say, what really matters is having a strong purpose at the start and that will help you in having to not change your metrics later on, no matter where your strengths or weaknesses are. And then how do we think about if we've defined our purpose, picking the right metrics that reflect our progress against that purpose, as opposed to perhaps metrics that are easier to measure than harder? <laughs> so I, I chuckle because there's no real good answer to this and this is gonna sound a bit facetious, but get you a people analytics team <laughs> or work with an external partner. Data is really complex. And especially as someone who works in the survey space throughout my career, you know, you often hear people are like, oh, it's a survey. We're just going to slap that up there. We're going to ask a question. It's fine. But it really is a science and people go to school for this. And there's a science behind how do you write a well-written survey question that isn't going to lead participants, that isn't double-barreled, that's going to, like, to your point, get at what you're really trying to ask. It can be really complex to get to the heart of that. And so don't think that you have to do that all on your own. Look for support, whether that is you have an internal team that can help you in crafting that or if you need to work with someone externally who can help you. And I will also say, if you can't you know, get a, a consultant to come on externally that's not in your budget, 
depending on the type of data you want to collect, there are a lot of resources out there, whether it's a survey or maybe a how-to guide on some of the other analyses that you might want to complete. So yeah, that's that's my that's my response to that. It's not it's a little bit kind of skirting the question, but it really is truly there's no one answer to that because it depends on the data. And I again I took a survey focus, but this goes for your other metrics as well. Pay equity analysis. I joke about that all the time. I love it, it's important. That's not my bread and butter. <laughs> that's not that's not something I'm gonna do. So that's that's a key too, is when you do bring in those partners, make sure their expertise is in the area that you need the help with. And so what are, in your experience, some of the pitfalls that people experience as they're trying to measure and as they're trying to have that reflect the change that they're trying to drive? You know, what are some of the things that trip people up in this process? We talked about, you know, not collecting data. Another kind of branch off of that is not collecting either. So we talked about the right type of data, right, to get to your question um, or only focusing on one type. If you're trying to answer one, we'll call it a research question, there are so many pieces of data that could impact that story. So making sure you're taking that really robust view, taking the quantitative and qualitative approach, um, so numeric and getting verbal or written. And then one uh, another piece we haven't talked about, though, is the opposite problem. And that's analysis paralysis. If you've heard that phrase, I love that phrase. And that's when you have so much data, you did all the things, right? You asked all the questions, you went to all your sources, and now you have so much information that you don't know what to do with it. You don't know how it all comes together. You don't know how to look at it. You don't know how to talk about it or what to do next. And that can be just as damaging to your progress uh, in your analysis as not collecting data. Because just because you have it all, doesn't mean it's just going to sit there and through osmosis start causing change, you know, or telling that story for you. You got to you gotta put some work behind it. And so, again, having that purpose up front can really help with analysis paralysis and help prevent it in the first place. Getting some help externally or from um, an internal team can be really helpful. But yeah, that's, that's one of the places that I think I see a, a lot of risks that people often overlook. They're so focused on getting the information in. Um, and honestly, having having all of that data and not doing something with it, especially if any of it was requested from employees. So for instance, through surveys, that can be more damaging than not getting it because now you're hurting that trust with your employees. You've said, hey, we want you to trust us with this data. Give us this data. It's going to lead to something. And if they never see that action, you know, and they don't see how their data is being used, it, it causes them to lose trust. And now we have some negative feelings around even the data collection process on top of anything else they were already experiencing. So it sounds like you're saying that measuring through change is a good in and of itself, but it's not a complete part of the change picture that change management also requires ongoing communication. Yeah, yeah. And and transparent ongoing communication, right? We that's another thing. Going back to that fear of data, we don't like to always say what our results are. Or maybe we only we have that toxic positivity. We only talk about what we're doing well. we we scored really well here. Well, it's important to acknowledge those um, those areas of opportunity and what you're gonna do to fix those. As we're standing up change efforts, as we're standing up change measurement efforts. Who should be deciding or how broadly should we be crowdsourcing the ideas for what metrics we should be using to measure change? Should this be something that is sort of decided at the top and cascaded down or should we be asking for perspectives more broadly and having a more democratic conversation about what measurements matter? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. And I would say it can be broader. It depends on data. So I, again, I'm specifically in the DEI space. And so if you have, um, for example, a DEI council or a task force, a committee, use them, right? At, go to them and say, hey, we want to collect metrics. We want to make sure we're doing well in this space. What have you seen that can be really useful? And so get get some ideas from them on what types of data can be useful. And then, and then get that fed up, you know, to your senior leaders and they can help you sign off on how that fits in and where they want to focus and how that can look. And that can be the same in other areas of your business too. And some of this is already happening. If I was to go into an organization and ask, them, you know, what are your financial goals? That was a bigger conversation, right? You got more voices in the room as far as where do you, leadership maybe said, hey, this is where we want to go, but you had other departments talking about how they could contribute and if they could help meet that goal and what that goal could look like and what they're going to do to help them get to that goal. So you can see how that all trickles down. Same thing for other areas as well. I feel like people tend to, when you bring in the, the finance piece, they're like, oh yeah, finance and numbers, it makes sense that can apply throughout the organization. Excellent. Now I know we're coming up to the end of our time together here, but before we go, what is one more thing that our listeners can do to more effectively deploy metrics in their organizations to drive their change initiatives forward? I would just say slow down. I think that's one thing that we haven't talked about today is it can be really exciting. Once you get that permission and you want to move forward, it can be really exciting to say, all right, let's do it full steam ahead. But mistakes can happen that way. So slow down, figure out your why, like we talked about your purpose, and then take the time to really build out that measurement plan before diving into the deep end. Well, thank you, Sir Trace. I know I've learned a lot today and I'm sure our listeners have as well. Now, if our listeners want to connect with you directly or learn more about Mattingly Solutions, how should they go about doing that? Yeah, great question. So I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me there, Sutri Scrice. Uh, we also have our website, mattinglysolutions.com. And if you reach out there, we have 30-minute consultations. So you can hop on a call with me and we can chat. Um, or you can check out our book through there as well, Inclusolytics, that you mentioned. Um, and for fun, I'm also on Instagram, Sash Trees, if you if that's your um, preferred social media method. <laughs> I love it. And we'll be sure to include those links in the show notes. I really appreciate your time here. Uh, hopefully our listeners can take your advice and apply it to their own teams. Now, if any of our listeners would like to bring these kinds of conversations to their own organization, you can visit us at blueswiftconsulting.com to schedule an intro call. Thank you so much, Sir Trees. Thanks.